Welcome to futureofuschinatrade.com. This is Molly Castellazzo. You're listening to an audio podcast of a telephone interview with Derek Scissors, who is a research fellow for economics in the Heritage Foundation's Asian Studies Center, where he focuses his studies on the economies of China and India. He also analyzes and comments on broader economic trends in Asia, as well as related challenges facing the United States. Derek and I talked about his view that there is no real connection between the value of the RMB and U.S. unemployment. According to Derek, American unemployment is naturally determined by American policies, not Chinese. He says that the biggest American distortion of U.S.-China economics is America's huge budget deficit. That's a problem, Derek says, that the Ways and Means Committee should take the lead in addressing. Now, to our telephone conversation. So the first question, Derek, is you, you, t- you talk about and, and give some data demonstrating really a lack of a causal relationship between an undervalued RMB and American job losses. Right. But the the popular conception anyway is that a relatively undervalued RMB makes Chinese exports relatively less expensive and American exports relatively more expensive. And and thus if if the RMB were stronger, relatively stronger, then American exports would be more competitive, America would export more, and that means there would be more jobs for Americans in in export-producing industries. So how does that popular notion sort of square with, or, or does it at all, with the data that you've found relating the value of the RMB to to employment levels. Yeah, the popular notion is wrong, and you know it shouldn't be surprised to anyone that it's wrong. Uh, everyone who pays attention to this issue, ordinary people, know that China and the U.S. have a very big, complicated economic relationship, and there are a lot of things going on. And someone who says, "Oh, well, I found the one thing that's going to explain everything," is is pretty much telling you a lie, and that's what's going on in the currency discussion. Mm-hmm. So what? What the, what the unemployment data and the China currency data actually indicate, I don't think correctly, but that's what the, they, they seem to indicate, is that the higher the China's currency is, the more valuable it is, which is what we say we want, the worse American unemployment is. So it's exactly the opposite of what the popular view is. And that seems really strange. So how can that be? And the answer is a lot more important things are going on that have nothing to do with China currency. And the number one most important thing is when the U.S. economy is strong, we have a bigger trade deficit with China. And when it's weak, we have a smaller trade deficit with China. And so China currency has nothing to do with this. When the U.S. economy was strong, uh, we, we had low unemployment and a big trade deficit with the Chinese in 2005, 2006. In 2009, the U.S. economy was weak. Our trade deficit sank like a stone, and unemployment went way up, and China currency played no role whatsoever. So what we've got is a very complicated relationship that has a number of elements to it. Most important that the U.S. is much bigger, and what happens here is much more important, and it's been reduced to something incredibly simple for political reasons. When you look at the actual numbers, the simple thing, this is the value of currency, has no effect whatsoever. Okay, so is it is it that a stronger U.S. economy, and, and I know this is, is reductionist, but a stronger U.S. economy means that U.S. consumers are buying more, so we import more from all places, including China, 
trade deficit goes up? Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't matter what the value of the currency is. Because right. what matters is how strong our economy is. That swamps anything the Chinese do with the currency. Another, there are all those things China does that are more important than it does what it does with currency. So when people say, well, how can currency not matter? I say it matters. It's like number nine on the list. Okay. So talking about then some of the, you know, the Chinese policies that matter far more than its currency value, um, you know, especially subsidies to state-owned enterprises. The, you know, the, if I think about the freest market economists, sort of the, the purebred market economists that I speak with, um, they would say, well, picking winners and losers, so massive subsidies to state enterprises, is highly inefficient, yep. and there's no indication that it works over the long term. So we don't really have to worry about what China's doing in terms of subsidizing their state-owned enterprises because it's either going to fail or because it's inefficient, they're going to change. Well, I mean, it depends on who's we that doesn't have to worry. If you're talking about the long-term competition between China and the United States, that's true. Okay. Chinese are on the wrong track. They've been on the wrong track for about eight years now. They changed government about eight years ago. Increasing state intervention, trying to guess what works. You know, they poured all this money into solar panels. Now the solar industry is collapsing. Uh, so they're going to mess up. We have to take care of ourselves if we're not doing a very good job of. But if, it's, if you're talking about the low U.S. and China, that's fine. If you're talking about specific industries, specific states, then subsidies matter more than currency. So just because it's spending inefficient, which they are, just because they're heading in the wrong direction, which they are, it isn't going to stay. The U.S. solar industry, the U.S. solar industry is being blown away by Chinese subsidies. Uh, does that mean we should subsidize that? No, absolutely not. All that will do will waste a ton of a, waste, a, waste a ton of American taxpayer money. But it is an issue that the Chinese are dumping all this money into solar and warping the industry. Is it going to matter that China is going to pass the U.S. You know, because of this? No, they're not. They're going to they're 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 creating their own downfall uh, in an even worse way than the Japanese did 20 years ago. But does matter to the solar industry. If you care about American unemployment this year, next year, America, those, those American export jobs you, you talked about at the beginning are blocked by Chinese protection of state-owned enterprises. So in this long-term economic competition between the U.S. and China, then it doesn't matter. They're just going to shoot themselves in the foot, and we, all we have to do is stop shooting ourselves in the foot. If you're talking about more specific things, then the subsidies do matter. Okay. So what might be some effective ways then that that you that US or or other world leaders could affect change um, in China's policies in that respect well forget other world leaders uh, the Europeans can't make up their mind about anything when they're doing <laughs> fine uh, and they're not doing fine now the yeah these haven't been doing fine for 20 years I suppose we could get the Brazilians and the Indians to come along but they're too cowardly to step forward uh, most of the time anyway. If something's going to change, it's going to be led by the U.S. Okay. Uh, we're the biggest economy in the world by far. We're the biggest single market for Chinese goods. The Chinese are, use dollars for everything because they're afraid to have their own currency. Uh, we have all the leverage here. Other people will follow us. They will not join us. Now, what should we do? That's harder. The first question is, what should we focus on? The number one mistake the U.S. makes is not the obsession with currency. It's that we go into our meetings with China with seven or eight different goals. You can't have seven or eight different goals. It's just on the econ side. You've got to have one. We're not making progress on anything. So the first 
first thing the U.S. has to do in its economic negotiations with the Chinese and its and its uh, and its dealings with WTO is say this is our target. We need to reduce Chinese subsidies, or if we want to work on IPR or something like that, something else. So we have one target, and we stay with it until we make progress. Excuse me. Um, and we don't do that. We have many targets. Currency is a lousy target, but the one thing I'll say for congressional critics of currency is at least they're focused on something. Yeah. The administrations aren't focused on anything, not just the Obama administration, the Bush administration before it mm -hmm. was not focused. I would put the target on subsidies. Other people would put it on intellectual property. There's macroeconomic adjustment you could use as a target. There are different things that, that, that people could pick. But the first thing is the, the, the president, really. If China is this important as, as people act like it is, uh, or they talk like it is, they don't act like it is, if China is really important, the president himself needs to say, this is the number one goal of our economic diplomacy with regard to China. That's what we're going to focus on. Done. And again, this is not a partisan attack on the Obama administration. The Bush administration didn't do it either. Until we have a focus, we're not going to get anywhere. And the currency is the wrong focus, uh, but it is correct that we need to focus on something. Okay. So once once we have a focus, mm -hmm. it, is it purely diplomacy, or is it a combination have, of a carrot and a stick, or, or how? With you, start a, with, you start with mostly diplomacy. I wouldn't call it a, a, just a carrot because... Let's, the U.S. just notified the WTO of, of almost 200 Chinese subsidies that the Chinese were supposed to tell the WTO about, and they didn't, and the Chinese responded. There are far more than 200 subsidies. It's just that those are the only ones uh, we picked out, maybe because they're the only ones we had evidence for. Um, you go to the WTO and you say, this is our goal. This is what's going on. This is the thing that the Chinese are doing subsidizing us the most. And you go to the Chinese in bilateral talks. Right now, it's very difficult for me to say the U.S. has a right to retaliate against China because the Chinese properly say, you, you just change your mind every day about what you want, which is true. We do. There's progress over here. We want more over here. We change you know, the numbers. It was 40% undervalued currency. The Chinese have appreciated 30%, and it's still 40% undervalued currency. So we don't have a coherent message, and maybe it's impossible for us to put one forward. But until we try to put a coherent message forward, it's difficult to say we should start punishing the Chinese. We should punish them for what? We haven't told them what we want yet. If we go forward with a message, and this is why the president has to be involved, in his meetings with the Chinese directly, in the strategic and economic dialogue which the U.S. has with China, in our interactions with the WTO, if we say, look, this is what needs to change. It needs to change over time. We need to see some progress. You know, pretty soon we're not expecting the problem to be fixed, but we need to see progress. If that doesn't happen, that's when you break out the stick. But I, in good conscience, I don't know what I would tell the United States to punish China for doing, because not as opposed to on human rights, where we do have a clear message, we don't have a clear message on economics. So what are we going to punish them for? Okay. So thinking about it from, from the Chinese side then, you know, of course they don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to end up worse than Japan or even equal to Japan. So, and, and surely they understand that they're, heading down the quote-unquote wrong track and at least in their five-year plan they suggest they have plans to say release some control over state-owned enterprises do you see any meaningful change in that respect or you know from from their perspective not thinking about what the u.s says what are china's plans and have they made any progress in that direction? Um, 
I don't believe anything they're saying. And okay. the reason, I have good reason for that, it's not because China always lies, it's, it's a particular reason. In 2004, China said that its GDP, its investment was too high relative to its consumption, meaning it had an, an imbalance problem. In the last seven years, the imbalance problem has just gotten worse and worse and worse. We've already completed an entire five-year plan, and they didn't do anything about it. Right. So now they suddenly discover they have an imbalance problem, and guess what? Investment is still growing faster than consumption. So when you say the Chinese recognize they have a problem, again, you know, they say they have a problem, but they don't act as if they have a problem. And until they act and make the difficult choices of cutting back investment growth uh, and changing a system that is completely set up to use investment to subsidize standard enterprises, then they're just talking. Just like people in the United States talk about cutting the budget deficit, but of course that's hard and we don't actually do it. So uh, the Chinese perspective on this is they have gotten themselves into a trap. They weren't in this trap in 2002. They didn't have an imbalance problem then. No one was talking about it because it didn't exist. Now they do. It'd be very, it's going to be very difficult to change, just like the U.S. addiction to federal deficit spending is going to be very difficult to change. And until they do it, it's all empty stories. Um, and, you know, that yes, they are going to hurt themselves, but every day it's easier to keep doing the same thing than it is to make the sacrifices necessary to get yourself on the right track, which is why the European crisis has lasted all this time. Yeah. So if, if, they, if China isn't able to change and isn't able to get itself out of the trap, what are the implications for global economies or even just for the U.S. economy? Uh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, China is not going to collapse next year, as some people think. Okay. Uh, the economy is clearly weakening. It's getting bigger but weaker. I use the analogy of it's like somebody who overeats gets bigger. Yes, you're bigger, but you're not healthier. Um, <laughs> So, you know, they are getting bigger, but their economy is getting weaker. It's not going to collapse next year. It's not going to collapse the year after that. But they're heading for a situation where they're going to stall. And the world has been assuming that China will rise and, and, and if the U.S. remains paralyzed, will replace the U.S. as a global economic leader. That's not going to happen, at least not on the current Chinese course. So if the U.S. doesn't revitalize its economy, and China does stall, which it could, it could if it doesn't change direction. It will if it doesn't change direction. We're going to be in a situation with no global economic leader. And the global economy that we've known from 1946 to, let's say, the beginning of the financial crisis, 2008, is not going to come back. The WTO is never going to get anywhere because the WTO was always about getting access to the American market. There's no, you know, the American market is going to, if we don't get our act together, it's going to effectively stagnate. Chinese market isn't going to replace it because they're going to stagnate. And basically the post-war era that we've seen, which has brought peace at a global level, obviously there's lots of local conflict, but peace at a global level is in, is in serious jeopardy. That's very if scary, Sam. Yeah, if the Chinese don't get their act together and we don't get our act together. So one of us needs to get their act together. Yes. Okay. How, how optimistic are you about either the U.S. and or China getting its act together? Well, economics is a dismal science, so yeah. we're supposed to be pessimistic all the time. Uh, and unfortunately, the world's governments are giving us great reason to be pessimistic. The Europeans can't get their act together, the Chinese can't, are heading in the wrong direction, and we can't, we can't dig ourselves out of this hole. Until it happens, there's always the opportunity. The Chinese are going to have a political transition next year. The, the last Chinese government turned economic policy in the wrong direction. Maybe this Chinese government will turn it back in the right direction. We're going to have an election here. We're going to have new members of Congress. We might have a new president. Maybe we'll turn back in the right direction. But this isn't a problem that occurred. It didn't start with the financial crisis. It didn't start in September 2008. It started five or six years earlier than that. And so it's been going on a long time. The 
a lot of different people involved in the United States, Republicans, Democrats, you name it. Um, and so it's hard to be optimistic until people start making some progress. And, and to drive home this point, right now the dollar has been king. Everybody uses the dollar. Chinese use the dollar more than anyone else. The U.S. is slowly undermining the dollar by our irresponsible monetary and fiscal policy. It's slow. It doesn't happen overnight, just like China's stall will happen overnight. But if the dollar goes away, what's going to replace it? The euro? Hardly. The renminbi? The renminbi isn't even a global currency, much less a global currency that rivals the dollar. Right. And China's moving in the wrong direction. So it is difficult to be optimistic. If one country, if, if the Europeans could get them fix their problems, if we can fix our fiscal problems, the Chinese, new Chinese government turns in a different direction, then the whole situation changes. But until that happens, we're heading for uh, a breakdown of the post-war system. And when you talk about U.S. problems, are, are those primarily fiscal irresponsibility or centered around fiscal irresponsibility? Yes. I mean, if you have all this argument how to deal with the budget deficit and the short term or the long term and what to cut and what not to cut and how to raise taxes. I'm not addressing any of that. I'm not making a not making a statement about any of that. If you talk about American economic leadership in the world, where the US serves as a driver and act and an aid, a boon to the global economy and people want to use dollars, all the things I'm talking about with maintaining the system, it's all about getting rid of that debt. Everybody looking forward saying, Oh gee, the next ten years, the next fifteen years are gonna be bad. They're all talking about the debt. You can't prosper with that much debt hanging over your head, either people or countries. So how we do it is not what I'm talking about. And some people might say the time for American economic leadership is over. We have to take care of our people and all that. That's a completely different view than mine. I'm just talking about the fact that that debt, our fiscal problems, are incompatible with the post-war system. We're going to we're going to not be able to fulfill our role. And right now, there's no one to take our place. Now, what about people who say, well, because there's really no viable rival to the U.S. dollar as a global currency, and, and if, if we're talking about where are people going to, where, where are countries going to invest their money, well, there's no market big enough and, and as liquid as the U.S. Treasury market, so even despite U.S. fiscal irresponsibility, it's still kind of the only place to go. That's true. Um, that's true, and that's why these things take a while. There is no there is no alternative. The Europeans failed and look like they're going to fail for the foreseeable future. China is too frightened to try. Um, so where else can people go? There's no China, Chinese bond market is not open to foreigners. There's no unified European bond market. There's only us. But no one, that's, that, that's absolutely true, but the people making that argument would I think, to a person, agree that the dollar is weaker than it was 10 years ago. Not that the dollar is about to fall apart as a global currency and that, you know, it's overall doomed and there's nothing, nothing like that. But we're 10 years closer to the end of the system. And basically the story is when you're, when you're looking at holding U.S. government assets, you have to believe that it's at least possible that the U.S. government is going to fix the problem. Um, in this respect, a crucial test would be that if a Republican wins the White House. If the problem starts under a Republican administration, gets worse under a Democratic administration, then you have another Republican administration that doesn't fix the problem, you have to start thinking, well, when would we expect the U.S. to ever fix the problem? Mm -hmm. And that thought in your head starts people looking around at the alternatives, even though they're not 
they're going to buy gold. You know, that's what individuals do. They panic and they buy gold. But store, store wealth in oil, store wealth in property. I mean, there are a lot of Chinese investments, individual Chinese buying property in, in, in foreign countries because they don't trust the value of, of local currency in China. Um, so you're right. The options aren't great. Uh, and everybody wants the U.S. to get its act together and, to, and, and maintain a stable system. But after a while, we're clearly have been 10 years of getting weaker. I don't know how many more years this to happen before people start looking around. It's not one, but maybe it's five. Mm-hmm. Maybe in 2016, 2017, people look at the whoever's in charge of the White House in 2017 and say, this isn't getting any better. How many years is this supposed to go on? And then you have to make do. It's not that you have a great alternative. It's that you have to find an alternative, whether it's good or it's not. Okay. Well, I I worked at the Federal Reserve in the early 2000s, and things were dismal, but not quite so dismal <laughs> for the dismal well, I mean, science. Right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's hard to be optimistic right yeah. now. I mean, getting back to the China currency issue, um, this is just made up. You know, if you, if, you, if you try to figure out, there isn't enough data to do this, which is why we use that simple graph. But if you try to figure out what's causing American unemployment, China currency wouldn't be in the top ten. And Senator Reid opened the debate over China, the China currency bill and said, says this is the number one thing that we have to do to create American jobs. That's just not true. And actually, he contradicted himself a couple weeks later. Um, so this is a political stunt, and you know that doesn't mean that China's currency policy is good. It's not good. It's just not very important. Yeah. We, we just can't figure out the things we, we were unwilling or unable to figure out what we should do that would actually work. Which is, I, I mean, too bad sounds like kind of a lame thing to, to say about it, but, you know, it seems like it's really important to figure out what, what, like you said, you know, what do we focus on? You know, what is actually going to make a difference instead of expending all of our our, our energy talking about currency manipulation when that's not really a, a, an issue as it relates to American jobs anyway. Right. No, I mean, we're, we're, if you're a member of Congress of either party, if you're a president, uh, and again, this president of both parties, are you going to say, oh, unemployment is my fault? <laughs> no. You're going to say it's someone else's fault. Right. And now we have an established story to blame the Chinese, and the Chinese are trade predators. I say that all the time. But they don't drive unemployment in the United States. They're not the first driver. They're not the second driver. They're not the third driver. Mm-hmm. We talk about this because we don't want to deal with our own problems. Right. Well, yeah, so, I mean, hopefully uh, the more people like yourself talk about, you know, finding the real issue and, and addressing the real issue, hopefully some policymakers will start hearing that, right? No, no. We, we seem to have blocked for the moment the currency bill in the Congress, which is appropriate, but it'll come back. Yep. And it'll definitely come back if Congress can't come up with anything else. Right. So if you don't come up with some sort of a plan, I, I'm not even talking about the economics of the plan. I'm talking about the politics of the plan. The president of Congress could put forth something, and I would say that is never going to work. But if they don't put forth anything, pressure to attack the Chinese just goes up and up and up because you have to offer people something. Next year is an election year. What are you proposing? And if you don't have the nerve or you don't have the ability to propose something that will actually work, you'll fall back on blaming other people. Right, right. 
So yeah, we blocked it so far. People are listening, but that will go away in 2012 unless there's an alternative. There has to be a story the United States tells the president, the Congress, other people running for president, local officials, where they say this is what's going to work to create jobs and to get the economy moving again. If you don't have that story, we're eventually going to punish uh, the Chinese. Well, and what about? I mean, what about the president saying we need? And I don't know if this is a strong enough story, you know, it certainly doesn't put the blame on anyone, but talking about um, what can the U.S. do to boost its own competitiveness, so at least a more inward kind of introspective plan. Well, as I said, the you know, number one macro thing we need to do is get rid of this debt. Yeah. Um, it's like walking around carrying dead weight, you know, of course you don't move as quickly. Um, so that's, that's the first item of business is enhancing the economy as so much as removing the harm to the economy. Uh, beyond that, it depends on what your goals are. Uh, some people would tell you to, to, to eliminate or reduce or simplify corporate taxes. I think that tax reform across the board, uh, simplification, not necessarily tax reduction, simplification is absolutely necessary. Uh, we did that in the mid-1980s, and, and it helped importantly contribute to 15 years of prosperity. It, now the tax code has, has gone awful again. This stuff sneaks in through the Congress. We need to fix it. Um, so after, there's no argument that the, the dead weight of the debt has to be dealt with. Lots of ease in that sentence. Let me rephrase. The, the, the debt has to be taken care of or there's no prospect for strong American growth until it is. After that, it depends on what your economic goals are. Uh, I would start with tax reform because I think that's the proper business of the federal government. Other people could have different ideas. Okay. And again, you know, we're still more than twice as big as China. Mm -hmm. Just think about, you know, think about, uh, not quite this large, but as an example, uh, think about a 250-pound person, 125-pound person. And one of them wants to go one way and one of them wants to go the other way. When the 250-pound person drags the 125-pound person along and then says, I can't believe you're making me go this way, that's just not credible. We're going the way we want to go. And if we fix our own direction, suddenly we won't be nearly as worried about China. It's the same thing was true about Japan in the late 1980s. We were really unhappy about the, the Japanese until the American economy got stronger, and then we stopped caring. Mm -hmm. So the Japanese were taking American jobs and ruining the country and trying to take over the world, and yada, 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 yada. And now nobody cares. <laughs> they shot themselves in the foot, which, by the way, is what China's doing, but also because we fixed our problems. So that's, that's if I were, we, we got into this, if I were just dealing with China, I would focus the U.S. government on exactly what we want, try to make progress on that on that score. And if we can't, then say, well, if you're not going to be a good trading partner in China, then we don't feel obligated to be a good trading partner to you. But that's the secondary problem. 